Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Well, good morning. Welcome. Um, as, uh, as Ed mentioned, from Vero Beach, Florida. And uh, Florida, if you've never been to Florida, it's almost exactly like Colorado. Okay? <laughs> the only difference is everything. So the, the highest elevation in Florida is 400 feet. Seriously. And it's nowhere near where I live. The, the elevation here, I think, is like 5,470 feet. The elevation of my house is 10 feet. So, <laughs> but the good news is that my house is closer to the beach than we are to Safeway. So that's, that's positive, right? So it's kind of like it, when, you, when it's super cold here and you, you look at that palm tree image and dream, that's my house. So, so but when, I'm, when it's super warm, and I'm looking at those beautiful snow-covered mountains, that's your house. So anyway, um, happy to be here. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 91 that we just read through, a message that I've titled Run for Cover. Run for Cover. And um, the, I kind of have three goals um, in our time. This is, this is what I hope to accomplish. You can let me know afterwards um, if I did. But my first goal is for us to discover the situation that the psalmist is in um, uh, when he writes the psalm. The second goal is to discover the solution that he found for the situation that he was facing. And the third goal is to discover the results that he found when he applied the solution to the situation. Okay, so that's kind of where we're headed. And the first thing I want you to note is just look down at your Bible there, Psalm 91. And do you, do you notice that if you have a title for that Psalm, do you notice that it's in italics? Do you, does anybody notice that in their Bible? What that means is that the, the editor of your Bible, mine happens to be a Cambridge study Bible, and, and uh, that they've placed a title based upon the content of the Psalm, but that title is not original. In other words, this particular psalm, it wasn't signed. We, we don't know who the author is, and he doesn't tell us specifically like the, the historical background of when it was written. Now, it is pretty common in the psalms for the author to sign it. We know of the 150 psalms, 75 of them were, were authored by David. And in many of those, he actually tells us the, the backstory, what's going on in his life when it happens. So the third psalm, he writes when his son Absalom tries to overthrow the kingdom. So we're, we're able to go to that passage of scripture. We're able to read the events that are happening and understand what he's going through. The 51st psalm, he writes after he finally confesses his sin with Bathsheba, and he talks about his restoration to the Lord. But this psalm, we don't know who the author is. And so as a result, we don't have the historical setting. But that doesn't mean we can't understand some of the situation that was going on. Let me try to illustrate with actual illustrations. Okay, um, we're going to look at a picture and I'm going to ask you a question. Where do you think these guys are going? Where do you think they're going? 
The movies? No, they're going surfing, right? You just look, oh yeah, there's some basic hints in that picture of where these guys are probably headed. Let's look at another one. What do you think this guy likes to do? Fish, right? I mean, it's like you've got more rods and reels than you know what to do with. And then this picture right here, what do you think is happening here? We got four handsome young men with their wives watching the Dodgers win the 2020 World Championship. Okay? So, like, that's what's happening. And, and, and of course, this afternoon, they're going to watch them get ready to repeat. But, but, the, but the idea, like, you can look at the visual and you can draw certain conclusions. So what we're going to do is we're going to look into this psalm, and together we're going to try to discover the situation that the psalmist was facing. Okay, so let's take a look. I want to start looking at verse 2. Verse 2, he says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. You see that word? Look over at uh, the second, or rather the the third line of verse 4. He says, his truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Look at the second line of verse 5. Nor the arrow that flies by day. And then look at verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. Well, what situation would, would he be describing when he's talking about fortresses, shields, bucklers, arrows flying, and people falling all around him. What's he describing? It's a battle scene, isn't it? Now, we can't be certain whether he's speaking literally or figuratively. In other words, the psalmist might actually be in the middle of a battle. This, this guy might be kind of in a foxhole. He's there, and his arrows are flying over him, and he's, he's got all these challenges going around, along with that. Or he might be speaking figuratively. I'm going through something that feels like a war. But I want you to notice a couple of things. I want you to notice that he's not describing the war here from from the perspective of a spectator. Okay, he's not watching the History Channel recount some battle that took place. He's, He's describing it from being in it himself. And I also want you to notice, take a look again at verse 7. Verse 7, he's talking about people falling at his side and it not happening to him. And the implication there is this is a battle that at least at this moment, he feels like they're losing. We're in a losing battle. We're, we're not gaining ground, we're losing ground. Things that we thought we had victory over, we're finding that we fail in. So the first sort of description that he gives of his situation is that at least he feels like he's in the midst of a battle and losing the battle. Let's take a look. He describes it in another way. Look at verse 3. Surely he'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The snare of the fowler. Anyone maybe write a text this week or an email using the phrase snare of the fowler? Okay, it's not common vernacular for us. What is fowl? What is fowl? Birds, right? And, and what is a snare? What's a synonym for a snare? A trap. So he's talking about someone who's trapping birds. Okay, someone who is hunting after birds. Now, do we have any hunters in the room? Anybody enjoy hunting? Okay, now let me ask you those hunters. Would you enjoy hunting as much if you were the prey? 
Would that be as fun? Like, hey, hun, we're going on a camping trip this weekend. We're going to go hunting, and I get to play the deer. Okay? Like, it's not, it's not quite as much fun. That's what he's describing. The snare of the fowler, like being hunted after. Let's look at another one. Take a look at verse 5. Actually, verse 6. He says, he speaks of the pestilence. He also speaks of destruction. And then if you look down at the second line in verse 15, he just speaks of this general idea of trouble. So he's saying, I feel like I'm in a battle and losing. I feel like I'm in a, in a hunt and I'm the prey. And I'm also facing pestilence and destruction and trouble. Those are, those are big things outside of the psalmist's control. Those are the kind of things that, that you can't make little decisions that will stop those things from happening. You can't make slight adjustments to your life that stop pestilence, destruction, and trouble. They're things outside of your control. You can make changes that benefit you, into, you know, personally, but they're not going to change the course of those events. That's what he's facing. And then finally, look at verse 5. He says, You'll not be afraid of the terror at night, the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that walks in darkness, and the destruction that lays waste at noonday. These are things that are perpetual. Day and night and night and day, darkness and light. He's saying these things continue to come one wave after another after another. So I think if you are, are feeling like you're going through something that feels a little bit like you're in a war and losing, you feel a little bit like you're being hunted, you feel a little bit like there are all these circumstances outside of my control, no matter what I do, they keep coming and they come day after day after day, I think maybe there might be something in this psalm for you. And I think that there might be two things in the psalm. Number one is just comfort in knowing that the psalmist went through that. I honestly think if we stopped here, if we just stopped just knowing that the psalmist faced those things, faced those challenges, I think that in itself is encouraging. Because it causes us to realize that, it, that we're not in an uncommon place. That this isn't something that the, that the child of God, that the follower of Jesus goes through in every generation. But I think there's something else in the psalm. I, I think there's actually something that the psalmist discovered that, is help, that was helpful to him and will be helpful to us. So there's the situation the psalmist was facing. I want you to see the solution that he found for that situation. Take a look at verse 1. He says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And he talks about that being like a fortress and like a refuge and like a place of deliverance. So the secret place of the Most High. In other words, the psalmist found a place to hide when he was facing this kind of turmoil or this kind of storm in his life. He found a place to hide. Now, I want you to, to keep in mind that, that all, when we face difficulty, when we face like the storms of life, we, we tend to run to a hiding place. But it's important for us to keep in mind that all hiding places are not created equal. 
Like not all of them are the same. Um, growing up, I learned important theology from the story of the three little pigs. And I learned that not all hiding places are equal, right? When the wolf chases you, you don't want to go in the stick house. That's a bad idea. I actually live in a place now where we face storms on a regular basis, right? We live in a, in a place, um, you might hear that, that Florida doesn't have seasons. Like, like people, like here I'm, I'm hearing, like this is a beautiful time of year up in the mountains because what, what's happening right now? The trees are changing colors, like, so apparently there's a sickness that you have where you like watching things die. But, <laughs> but anyway, so you're happy with the seasons and, and in Florida, like you get this thing, we don't have seasons. We have seasons. We have regular season, tax season, and hurricane season, okay? And so, and, and hurricane season comes with decorations. Like we actually decorate our homes with plywood and pieces of metal and, and because there's this idea that storms come. And when a storm is coming, and uh, we get the, we, if you watch the news, by the way, it's never like they say, but, but there's this cone. And when, we call it the cone of death. And when, you're, when your location where you live is within that cone, that's when you start decorating. And so we start putting up the plywood and the different stuff. And, and, and then that's when people start making decisions. And they look at their home and they realize, is this place a secure hiding place? Is this going to protect me from what's coming? And so as a result, lots of people evacuate. They leave because it's like, I don't think this place is secure enough for that storm that's coming. I've lived 23 years in Florida. Um, we've gone through lots of hurricanes. We've, our town has been the direct hit by several of them. I have never stayed in my house, okay? I put, I put impact windows up in my house this last year. I put them in myself. I promise you I will not stay in my house for the next hurricane because I put the windows in. <laughs> like, I know that not every hiding place is actually a safe place in the storm. And so what happens to us, there's something natural when things get difficult, they become overwhelming, we go to a hiding place. For some of us, it's isolation. We isolate ourselves from everybody else, we kind of shut down. That's not a really secure hiding place. For, for others of us, we, we want to get camaraderie with other people that are equally as annoyed by the circumstances so we can get together and complain. And that's not a really helpful hiding place. Some of us will run to a cause as though, you know, we're distracting ourselves from really what's going on and we're going to get involved in a cause. We think waving a flag is going to somehow deliver us from this challenge. Some of us will go to something that is actually destructive. And, and perhaps we, we go back to some vice that that we were involved in before we came to Christ because that vice actually provides us with some level of comfort. But that vice is not a safe or secure place. The psalmist says there is a place to go when we're in the midst of those challenging seasons of life. He calls it the secret place of the Most High. I want to attempt to do two things. Number one, I want to attempt to define the secret place. And then number two, I want to attempt to explain how to dwell there, okay? So what is the secret place? I think the secret place is the same thing that David called um, the house of the Lord. You're there in Psalm 91. If you turn a couple pages, you'll be in Psalm 27. And in Psalm 27, 
David is describing a very difficult season. He talks about fear. He talks about enemies. He talks about armies rising up against him. And then in Psalm 27 at verse 4, he says this, One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He says, for in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He'll hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. David says, there's that place that I go to get with the Lord when the challenges of life become overwhelming. In in the book of Ezekiel, there's a very interesting passage. The storyline of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was among those who were taken captive by the Babylon, by the Babylonians, and they were taken from Judah, and they were taken to a place called the River Chabar, and they lived in a refugee camp. And uh, they were, you know, they were prisoners of war when the Babylonians defeated Judah. And and Ezekiel's ministry was to these refugees. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a refugee camp, but uh, life in a refugee camp is usually very challenging. Um, We've been involved as a a church, we've been involved in West Africa for the past 20 years. Um, We have a a Bible training facility there um, that trains locals in the, word of, in, the, in the study of and the communication of the Word of God. Over the past 20 years, we've had about 3,000 students go through the training. We've had about 150 churches start throughout West Africa. Um, and for a season, um, our ministry was able to, to impact a refugee camp that was just outside of the capital city of, of Ghana. Capital city is Accra. And the refugee camp was filled with Liberians who were forced to flee from their country because of a civil war that broke out in the early part of the 80s. And the civil war lasted for, for, for several years. It devastated the country. And many of the Liberians were forced to flee out of their country. And so there were somewhere between 60 and 100,000 Liberian refugees living in this camp. And, and Ghana's a third world country. The, the standard of living is, is very low. It's challenging. But can I tell you, life in that refugee camp was much more difficult than even within the nation. And it was challenging and doing ministry within the, in that area. Well, Ezekiel is in with these refugees, ministering to them. They've lost their country. The, the, the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple, this place that represents the, the relationship that they have with God, the temple's been burned to the ground. And in the midst of that, listen, this is from Ezekiel 11 at verse 16. God speaks. He says, Thus says the Lord God, although I've cast them far among the Gentiles and although I've scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary to them in the countries where they've gone. That an amazing statement. I will be for them a little sanctuary, a meeting place, a place where in the midst of whatever they're going on, no matter how uh, devastating their life is, even much of what they went through was was, um, they were self-destructive behaviors that brought the difficulties upon them. And God says, but I'll still be a little sanctuary, a hiding place, a secret place. And so the secret place that the psalmist is referring to is that place where we learn to go and get alone with the Lord. 
It's where we learn to pour out from anything that we're facing, all the difficulty that we're going through, the good, the bad, the stuff that's overwhelming, we just pour it out before the Lord. But I think the secret place is more than that. It's also a place where we'll sit before the Lord and let Him speak into our life. It's, it's not just a complaint department. It's a place where we go and just say, God, this is what I'm going through, and I'm going to let you speak back into my life. The, the Apostle Paul went through a very challenging season in his life. He does not describe it. In other words, he doesn't tell us about the, the, um, the details behind what made his life challenging, he, but he does illustrate it. This is in 2 um, Corinthians chapter 12. And in 2 Corinthians 12, listen to what the apostle says. He says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I was going through something. He doesn't describe it. But he says, it felt as though someone were driving a stake into my flesh. They're driving this thorn into my flesh. He says, it felt as though a messenger of Satan was buffeting me. Think about this. What, what's a synonym for the word buffet? What's a synonym for the word buffet? To strike, to punch, to hit. He's saying whatever he was going through, what, like, he doesn't tell us. But whatever it is, he says, I feel like I'm in a, in a ring with one of the devil's minions, and he's giving me a beat down. I, I've gone through a lot of things in life. I don't think any challenge that I've ever gone through, I could describe that way. I, honestly, I don't think I could ever say, yeah, I felt like I was in an MMA fight with Satan, and I was getting a beat down. He's going through a very challenging thing, but notice what he said he did. He says, to use Psalm 91's vernacular, he says, I went to the secret place. And I pleaded with God. I said, God, this is what's going on. I don't like this thorn that's in my flesh. I don't like this buffeting that I'm getting. And he pleaded with the Lord. He went into the secret place. And then he says, and when I was there, God poured out from his grace into my life. I let God speak into my life. And, and from his grace, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul says, something happened to me there. I poured out what was going on in my life, and God met me, and he gave me something that was lacking. When we speak of the grace of God, grace is a very, very big Bible word. It has many facets associated with it. But one of the, one of the chief ways to, to think of grace is that grace speaks of the very nature of God. God is giving by nature. So as you come to him with your challenge, you come to him with your difficulty, God by nature wants to give into, he wants to speak into your life. He wants to give you what is missing. So if your circumstances right now are creating confusion in you, you're facing something that you don't know what to do. Personally, I'm going through something that, like that right now. 
I'm in a situation, I'm walking down a road that I've never had to walk this part of life before, and I don't know what to do. And in my secret place, I'm saying, God, you, you have to give me wisdom. I really don't know how to do this. I'm expecting that as I pour out from my confusion, that God's going to speak from his wisdom. You might be facing something where you're, it f- is filling you with anxiety or fear. And in the secret place, you need God to give you comfort and to give you peace. You might be like the apostle where, where you're facing something that's exposing your weakness. And you need God, listen, you need God to give you his strength. What we want God to do is strengthen us. But that's not really what God does. He gives us his strength. And there's a big difference. I can promise you I'm not getting stronger. Okay? I'm 55 years old now. I am not stronger than I was when I was 35 years old. I'm getting weaker every day. Um, remember when Caleb says he's 80, he goes, I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. It's like, no, you're not, bro. You're 80. Okay? In, in one sense, Caleb, you're not strong. You know that guy. Maybe your dad's that guy. And you're going, dad, you're going to kill yourself. My kids are starting to think that way about me. Like my, true story, um, everything grows out of control in Florida. Okay, it's so, there's so much moisture that like, and we have bamboo. Like I, I left my house, for, I, I cleared this bamboo, it's my neighbors, it's, it's super um, invasive. The stuff looks amazing, it's a nightmare. And it grows like, it'll grow like a foot overnight. And I left, I was gone from my house for a week and I came back and there is a bamboo shoot coming up on my property that's taller than I am. I didn't cut it down before I left because I wanted to see how tall it would be when I get back from this trip. Okay, it's just growing out of control. So, so I, I, this is a true story. So I, we have a church van that's like super ghetto. And, it, it, and so I brought it to the house and I have a chainsaw with a pole and I stood on top of the church van and I'm cutting bamboo with the, with the chainsaw standing on top of the church van. So, so my wife comes outside. I had a ladder next to it to get on the van. And so I go, Christy, get your phone. And I get the ladder. I put the ladder on top of the church van. Okay, seriously, it's a true story. And I, I take like, I put my, you know, one foot on the first rung and my, another foot like on the third rung and I'm holding the chainsaw like I'm climbing the ladder. And she took a picture and sent it to our boys. Like, and they are so worried because they think, my dad's that guy who thinks at 55, he's as strong as 30. I want them to think I think that way. But here's my point, okay? My point is, I'm not getting stronger. But listen, God's strength is, is available to me. And that's what the psalmist is saying, or what, what Paul's saying. I went to the secret place. So what is the secret place? The secret place is the place that we go to in the midst of the storm where we sit down with God and we pour out our heart to him and we expect that God's going to speak back to us, okay? We dwell there. Dwelling there would be an illustration of the New Testament doctrine of abiding in Christ. And the New Testament doctrine of abiding in Christ has two aspects to it. Number one, it has the aspect of union. Here's what happened the moment you put trust in Jesus Christ, or if you're ready to put trust in Jesus Christ today. When you put trust in Christ, the moment that that happens, your sins are forgiven, 
You are restored into relationship with God. You are given a new nature. You come alive. You're given uh, the free gift of eternal life. And you're put on a new path in life where you're now walking in this new life that God intends for you to live in. The, the, uh, Paul the Apostle uses a phrase over and over again. He talks about being in Christ. He says, when you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for your sin. When you're in Christ, you're a new creation. When you're in Christ, uh, God has foreordained uh, works for you to walk into. It's like your whole life has changed. You're united with Christ. And this union that you have with Christ is an unbreakable union. Listen to what Jesus said about the union that we have with him in John chapter 10. In John 10, right after saying that my sheep hear my voice, Jesus says this, I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. He goes on to say, my father who, is, who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hands. The New Testament doctrine of abiding is that you were united in an unbreakable bond with Jesus Christ the moment you put trust in him. But there's a second aspect to the doctrine of abiding. And that is, in addition to the union that you have, communion is now available to you. Communion is fellowship, relationship with God. Because you're united to him, you can have relationship with him. You can go to the secret place, you can sit down before the Lord, and you can say, God, this is my struggle. This is what I'm facing, and I don't know how to get through it. And God can speak to you. Do you know that Jesus wants to speak to you? He wants to speak in your life. He wants to speak comfort into your life. He wants to speak direction into your life. He wants to speak guidance into your life. He wants to speak uh, doctrine, who he is into your life. He wants to speak correction into your life. He even wants to speak calling into your life. Like how it is that he wants you to participate in the furtherance of his kingdom. God wants to speak to you. And in the secret place, we abide we participate in that communion, that fellowship that we have with God. Now, this, this word abide, the, the New Testament doctrine of abide, is a translation of a Greek word. It's the Greek word meno. And it has a lot of different facets to it. Um, it's a word that means to live in. Okay, in fact, we even use the word, just like the word fowler, it's not in your vernacular, the word abode we probably haven't used that this week. But your, your home is your abode. It's where you live. And the New Testament doctrine of abiding is the idea that we dwell or live in Christ. And I want to encourage you that this secret place, this, this establishing a place where I go to the Lord and I pour out what's going on in my life with an expectancy that He's going to speak into my life and provide what's needed, I think it should become a lifestyle. I think that's how we should live. I think the most important thing, I, I had a couple of young guys there in an intern program in one of the churches here uh, in the Denver area. And at the Refresh Conference, we were talking and one of them said, he, he didn't say it like this, but this is what he meant. Hey, you're old and we're young. So do you have any advice for us so that we can get old, still walking with the Lord? Like, like what is the advice you would give to some young guys that want to serve the Lord? And I gave them the same advice that I give to anybody that'll ask me that question. And that is that your walk with Jesus is the most important thing. 
You, you're, not, you're not on the road to become a professional pastor. Just, just love Jesus. Establish a quiet time. Spend time with him every day. This idea of having a secret place is something that we should live in. The word, the word um, mino or abide also means to remain. So in addition to dwell, it means to remain or stay. And it's kind of the idea of, of, of perseverance. And I, and I think nothing should keep me from that secret place. It should become a regular place for me, and it, it should become something that I don't let life distract me from it. I, I think, you know, I, um, I, I was uh, having a conversation with someone before the, the eight, whatever, eight service, whatever, eight something that started. Um, and... Uh, and they were, they were sitting reading their Bible, and I just walked up and had a conversation. They were, they were reading from their quiet time. This is where I'm reading from, and this is how God's speaking to me. And, and, and we need to establish that and let nothing get in the way of it, that we, we go there, we remain, we abide, that we're fixed there. Now, let's go back Psalm 91, and we'll look at one last thing, and we'll wrap up. And that is, if the situation of the psalmist is one that he's going through very extreme circumstances, and the solution that he found was to establish a secret place, a place that he would go and pour out from his heart what's going on in his life, and that he would then receive back from the Lord, then the question is, what are the benefits or the results from applying that solution to his situation. And notice what he says in verse 3. No, verse 2. He says, he is my refuge and my fortress, verse 3, and he shall deliver you. So the first thing he finds is he finds, he finds refuge. This is actually a place that I can withstand the storm and I was, I'm finding deliverance. God is rescuing me from the circumstances that I'm facing. Number two, look at what he says. He says um, in verse seven, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. Because he made the, 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 that place, that secret place his dwelling, although many were falling, he was standing. Although many were overtaken because of the challenge that they were going through, he was able to withstand. He says down in verse 11, he says, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. He says, not only, I, I make the, the secret place, not only am I protected and delivered, not only am I seeing others fall, but I'm able to withstand but God himself is giving his angels a charge. A charge is like a command, but all the resources are given with it. Now, I don't exa know exactly what that looks like. I have no idea what that looks like. Personally, I have zero interest in seeing an angel this side of heaven. I have no interest. When I read about them in the Bible, I think, awesome, great picture. I don't want to turn the corner and run into that guy. Okay, but the fact that God releases them to assist us is a wonderful truth. And then lastly, notice this. He says in verse 13, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you'll trample underfoot. I, the, the idea here, I, I don't think this is like a literal thing. I don't think you're supposed to bring a bunch of snakes to church and dance around them. I, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think what he's talking about is these are things that would put you to flight, right? I mean, if, if you see a snake, what do you do? 
Do you go towards it? If you do, you're weird, okay? That, like, you go the other direction. I, I was walking with, with a friend of mine named Rich and, a, and, and this guy, Donne, who runs the ministry in West Africa. And this was several years ago, but we were walking at night from one building to another, and Donne had the flashlight, and, I, and we're walking along this path through the, through the bush, and, and, uh, and we come along, and there's a black mamba, poisonous snake. And, uh, and we come, and Donne sees it, and I'm right next to Donne, and Donne just runs. He just flees. The snake put him to flight. I was right next to him, and I ran with him. He took the, the flashlight. Rich is standing there in the pitch dark, like he doesn't know where to go. Like, you know, when you run into a snake, they, they get startled too. Well, he didn't know which way it went. So we run over here. He's like, guys, help. Like, I'm thinking, you're on your own, bro. Okay, like, we're, we're close, but we're not that close. So these are things that should put you to flight. But he said, listen, when you dwell in the secret place and when, when what's lacking in your life is provided to you by God, you're able to stand when you should flee. I, I said the last thing, but... I do this every week at our church. I might as well do it to you. One more, a second last thing. Notice what he says in uh, verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he's known my name. I'm going to set him on high. Now, something that's up high is something that's visible, right? Put something up high. Jesus said that the church of, of Jesus Christ, that we were supposed to be like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And the idea is we're in something that, that is very common for people to feel like they're in a war and losing, feel like they're, they're you know, being threatened. I mean, our, our, the whole world is under this serious, difficult season. And here's what God wants to do to those who will make the secret place their hiding place, where they'll go with the troubles and they'll pour it out to the Lord and they'll let God speak into their life. God wants to exalt you because what does God want to do with you? He wants the whole world to see Jesus. And he wants to use your life. We're all in the same trial. We're all in the same trouble. But somehow you're, you're not. Somehow you're overcoming it. Somehow people are falling and fleeing from snakes. And you're just like, I don't know. Like God's just sustaining me. And he's setting you on high. Because he wants to show off how awesome he is in the life of those that trust him. So Father, we want to say thank you for your word. Thank you for the secret place of the Most High. Thank you that the psalmist, when he, when he writes about it, he doesn't talk about it as some special place that only he has. It's something that he's making available to all of us, that we can go, we can make your dwelling place our hiding place. And so, Lord, we pray that you would meet us there. We pray that you would minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.